impact. And that is, the Word of God is powerful, and it's helpful, and it's practical, and it's enjoyable. Spend time with our brothers studying the Word of God. And, and, you know, we ought to all know that, and believe that, and trust that. But I think when we do things like this, it, it helps us see that even more strongly. And, and we really need to treasure God's work. This needs to be something that we individually are constantly reading and studying. This is our food. And we're malnourished and we die of hunger when the Word of God is not something that's constantly being read and studied, when we're not just constantly meditating on this. This is our connection with God. It's no wonder this is good. You know, God has such a uh, an ability to communicate with the man, man he made. And he knows exactly what we need. And we need opportunities to be able to share together in the Word of God, like we're doing this weekend. So I just want you to continually praise and thank God for what he's doing and what he's done, and to just seek to think more and more about how you can give yourself more to God's Word, how you can share that more with others, and how we can really benefit in a deeper way by this. If we learn first Samuel this weekend, that'd be awesome. But if we learn to give ourselves to God's Word, that's even better, because we'll learn more than just first Samuel. Right? So, uh, chapter 18, verses 1 to 9. After David had finished talking to Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home uh, to his family. Jonathan made a deal with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe um, he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home uh, after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with tim timbre, timbre, whatever, and lyres. And, uh, and they danced and sang. Saul has slain his thousands, and David has ten thousand. Saul was very angry. This uh, refrain displeased him greatly. Uh, they had credited David with 10,000, he thought, but me with only 1,000. What more can he get for the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Now, we see the relationship between Saul's son Jonathan and David. What would you, how would you describe their relationship? Yeah, one of the strongest, truest, most unselfish friendships that you can see. They really loved each other. They cared about each other greatly. And that's not just true here in chapter 18. We will see some other moments that demonstrate how much they loved each other. You can see what David said about Jonathan after Jonathan died in 2 Samuel 1 that also is a real indication of the, of the closeness that they were able to have. I think there's some things that probably ought to be said about that. We tend to be pretty 
isolated, self-focused people. And when you're isolated and self-focused, you don't tend to form good friendships. We tend to be competitive with each other. We tend to have our own agenda. And to have a really good friendship requires us to unselfishly love and care about each other. We are also, unfortunately, in a culture that thinks that men can't have really close, good <coughs> friendships in a heterosexual way. And that's very unfortunate. I think this story certainly shows us that. There's nothing uh, unmasculine about men loving each other in this way and caring about each other. And it's really impressive because of what's going to happen in this relationship. Jonathan, being Saul's son, would presumably be the next king. It's going to become obvious in time to everyone <coughs> David is going to be the next king, not Jonathan. If Jonathan had been competitive and selfish, he would have resented David for the obvious fact that David was going to take over the kingship. Jonathan never resented David. Jonathan loved David, and he sought to help David and work for David. And just the, the unselfishness and the trueness of this friendship is just a great encouragement as we go through this story. So I really like that aspect of this. And David goes out and he prospers and he's victorious in killing Philistines to the point where the women end up singing this song in verse 7. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. I don't know to what extent they were really trying to elevate David that much over Saul. But any degree of that sends Saul into a jealous rage because David was getting what Saul most wanted, and that's the praise of the people. It's so hard to be eclipsed by someone younger than what you are. You think, I deserve this kind of glory. You know, I want people to honor me and forget about the other guy. And so there, there began to be just this real animosity on the part of Saul toward David. Saul is looking on David with suspicion. We have a temptation to say that when there is conflict between two people, there's always wrong on both sides. Was there wrong on both sides in this conflict? No. There, there often is wrong on both sides, but not always. In this case, David was innocent. He was doing the will of God. He was not killing Philistines to try to make a name for himself. It was because he was courageously trusting in the Lord and trying to advance the Lord's cause. And so these kind of things will happen sometimes. When we really try to serve the Lord and, and God blesses us in that, there'll be people who'll be jealous of us and who will be upset with us and suspicious of us. Why are you trying to show me up? Or whatever. That was kind of Saul's attitude toward David. Comments and questions on this section, Cameron. I have a couple of chronological questions on this section. Me too. <laughs> First, when he, at the start it says when he um, had finished speaking with Saul, he wouldn't let him come back. Um, or that they became close, and David stayed with um, Saul. But how does that work in with the whole musical instrument when he came to him and pleased him? That is the $64,000 question. And it is the most complicated thing about my theory as to how the chronology works. I don't know the answer for sure. 
Um, I, what I would suggest is that perhaps we should not see that day as the same day as chapter 17. Chapter 18, verse 1. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as himself. I'm assuming that was not a one-day event, that that was a process. And it came about on that day, to Saul took him that day, perhaps the day that David and Jonathan had developed this close friendship, perhaps not the day of the end of chapter 17. Perhaps there are, uh, there's certainly uh, question marks about that. I, I prefer those question marks to the ones that I would have if we said that David was already playing the harp for Saul uh, before he killed Goliath. I think there's more difficulties that way, but it's that's a difficult question, Cameron. Yeah, that, that answers um, that part of it, but in the end, then um, it says, verse 6, that it happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine. Then they started singing the songs about him, but David couldn't have killed tens of thousands of men when he just killed the Philistine. Mm -hmm. And then also, how does that fit in with your idea? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know exactly what we're saying by when David returned from killing the Philistine. I would agree with you that for the women to be saying he's killed his ten thousands, if all he'd done was to kill one Philistine, that surely doesn't seem like that fits that. Perhaps we're wrong about my idea. That's a possibility. You know, we've got some things that are hard to fit in both ways. So those two verses are challenges to my view, uh, and, and perhaps need to be taken in a less than most natural reading, if my view is correct. Problem is, there's some things that are less than natural if the other view is correct. So I don't have a great answer. Uh, that, that is a difficulty. Roger, you might have one. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> let me down then. Yeah. I just think like something to see here is uh, Saul's jealousy. And um, I, I think about David was his best warrior. Yes. And because he was so jealous, his kingdom suffered for it. And I think the kingdom of God suffers a lot of times because of jealousy. Uh, a lot of times we see a brother that does things better than us, and, uh, and instead of looking at him with favor like God would, we start looking at him with suspicions like like uh, like Saul did. And I think something that I've been working on a lot this, this year is, is really trying to get the jealousy out of my heart. And if there's things in my, if there's, you know, if, if I see a brother that does something good, you know, I need to watch out. How What's my reaction to that? Am I happy? Like God would be happy? Or am I like, you know, getting worked up. You know, I think that's something for us to watch out. He's converting how many people a year? <coughs> yeah, he must not be preaching the truth. You know, he must be using something that's wrong. You know, I, because, because I'm not doing that, so how can he be? It's very easy to be jealous. Yes? Well, I think that fear is what causes jealousy. On the first lesson in 1828, where there's that when he becomes more afraid of David, he will always be my enemy. And um, when we fear people because of who they can become, because they're like better than us, or like we don't have uh, trust or security in who we can be as the Lord, then that's going to cause to a lot of security and a lot of enemies. Absolutely. And also in the matter of justice, I think when we quit singing songs about how great people are and compare each other, you know, like, Amen. I'm fully on that page. It is so 
<coughs> distracting to all of us when we focus mostly on God's instruments and not on God. You know, who was killing the ten thousands? God. God, absolutely. But but you know, we so often tend to glorify the man God used. I mean, God talked in Isaiah 10 about, you know, the axe boasting over the one who uses it. You know, uh, if, if that, that doesn't make any sense. It's the guy who uses it who gets the, should get the praise. We're the instrument. God's the, the wood chopper. We give him the glory. So I agree. If we would quit comparing people and exalting people and focusing on the man God uses and being more focused on glorifying him. Then God uses men, let's learn from them, but not with the attitude of exalting them, but seeing how the Lord is working in them and glorifying him. Yes, Michael. If Jonathan already knew about David's anointing or not, is that a question at this point? I assume he didn't, though I don't know that for sure. I wonder about for more than Absolutely. Yes. David often is in clothing or roles that would seem like he's the crown prince. And in fact, he was, even if they didn't realize that. But yes, very unselfish and a lack of glory seeking on Jonathan's part. Ralph? And uh, I also see this in the uh, Some of the times that we, uh, when we look people, that are white, okay, for, for instance, for me, it's like, when I was in I see the people who is like much faster and stronger than me. I'm like, why you have this, you know, people, they'll be running like 19, uh, like the three miles in 17 minutes, 15 minutes. And I'm, I'm running at 23, 24, I'm like, why we are so different? Why, why, why they are so strong? Why, why do you make it? Why God making these kind of people that, you know, that just to, to make me feel sad, to sad about myself? You know, it's, I have to realize that, you know, like, I have to look at myself and, okay, there's some things that I'm better than, you know, everyone is different in our individual way. We got, uh, I think that God gives us uh, different talents. You know, he might be faster than me, he might be you know, stronger, and he might be, uh, he might have a different talents than I do, but I also have the things that, things that he's not good at, things that, you know, that, 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 that God has given me to my, uh, to my own talent. So, whatever that we do, is, I think is to glorify God in whatever talent that we were given. And all whatever the that, that we have that to glorify God and then well, through us that if if, he, if we can glorify that, I think that's the the, 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 the message here. Instead of you know so thinking why David is, you know, why why have these guys instead of thinking, you know, what God trying to tell me through David. All instead of repenting in his heart, he he went and you know, commit more crime and more uh, more evil things. It all depends on our goal. 
If our goal is to see God's kingdom grow and then be glorified, we rejoice in abilities God has given others and in their successes. You know, you take a basketball team. If the players want to just stand out and make a name for themselves, you got a bad basketball team, and they're selfish. But if, the, if you've got team players who their goal is to win for the team, if the other guy is getting better and doing better and making a lot of hoops and whatever, you rejoice because it's going to help the team. We want God's cause glorified. We want his will done. We want his kingdom spread. Amen. If there's somebody who's converted a bunch of people, if the church where he's a part is growing by leaps and bounds and doing really well and, and strengthening itself in the Lord, praise God! His will is being done. We should rejoice in that. We are, we are one. We're on the same team. Our team is winning. That's what we want. Not because it's our team, but because we're with the Lord and we love him. Yeah. Just going off of his example, I mean, the person that runs three miles in 15 minutes didn't just one day run three miles in 15 minutes. It took work. Um, and in order for us to, to grow in any ways, especially spiritually, to become mature, we have to work at it. It's not, it's not something that we just overnight, one more time, we're suddenly mature. Right. Yeah. I agree. Other thoughts? So, this is going to create a bit of a problem here. Saul's jealousy, David's success. How are we going to deal with this? Well, verses 10 to 16. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual, and his spear was in, in Saul's hand. Saul hurled the spear for... He thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped from his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but he departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed from him, him from his presence and appointed, appointed him as his commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before, before the people. David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. Verse 16? Yeah. To, to verse, yeah, verse 16. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before him. So, when this evil spirit terrorizes Saul, David's playing the harp, what does Saul do? Yeah. He has a spear in his hand, David with the harp in his hand. He hurls the spear at David. And David, I suppose, has to dodge out of the way. You know, it's kind of a scary moment. Uh, makes you wonder why David ever came back. I'm assuming he sort of saw this as a fit of temporary insanity or something like that. That's what I'm assuming he thought. Uh, that he wasn't seeing this as a uh, permanent thing. But however that went, uh, this has to have been really scary for, for David. And, you know, Saul is afraid of David, verse 12, because the Lord's with him, but he's departed from Saul. Think about what happens to a guy when the Lord departs from him. 
It's kind of like God left Saul to himself. And therefore he was in miserable company. You know, and it just troubles him. And upsets him. And David's prospering, verse 14, because the Lord is with him. And, and Israel's loving David. And Saul's more and more paranoid. More and more resentful. More and more against David. You can start seeing how that the Lord has left Saul, he's starting to deteriorate as a person. Starting to be filled with the temporary rages, the insanity, the paranoia, the resentment, the hatred, the anger, the jealousy. He's just really starting to uh, break down morally and, and uh, his personality. Justin? Shows how, uh, how quickly and how bad it can get when we uh, do slip away from God. And one little thing, uh, it usually doesn't happen you know, overnight and, and you're just all of a sudden an awful person. But uh, one little thing can slip up, and, and you could one thing starts building on another, and that's kind of what's happened to Saul here. Is is he's kind of dug too big of a hole and can't get out of it. Yeah, great point. Other thoughts. So seventeen to thirty. Then Saul said to David, "Here is my elder daughter Mary. I will give her to you for a while." Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, Who am I, and who are my brothers, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? At the time when Merah, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Mehalathite, for a wife. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David. They told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, Let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, You shall now be my son in law. And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private, and say, Behold, the king has delighted you, and all his servants love him. Now then become the king's son in law. And Saul's servants spoke these words in the ears of David, and David said, Seems to you a little thing to become a king son of all, as I am a poor man and have no reputation. And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. And Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bright price, except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemy. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son of all. Before the time had expired, David arose and went, along with his men, and killed two hundred of the Philistines. And David bought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, and his name was highly esteemed. We will see Saul is creative in his approaches to try to do David in. And uh, what approach that he takes is to see if he can get David in a dangerous position, putting him fighting more Philistines, to the point where the Philistines will kill him, 
and Saul's not implicated. So he suggests to David that, you know, he might be able to marry his eldest daughter. I thought, don't know why, I think that was part of the deal. But he could marry his oldest daughter, but he wants him to be a great warrior and fight the Philistines and all that. Well, David said, I'm not worthy to marry your daughter. He doesn't become a great warrior to kill the Philistines, but, but he, he sort of doesn't feel like it's appropriate for him to marry someone as fine as, as Saul's daughter. And so Saul's daughter, Mara, was given to another man. But Michael, his younger daughter, really loves David. And Saul finds out about that and he thinks, this will be my chance. This, this will do him in. So Saul has David told that Saul really likes him and he'd like for him to be his son-in-law and he doesn't really need to have a dowry because David is a poor man. All he needs as a dowry is a hundred Philistine forces. And he's thinking, well, you know, that way, Obviously, uh, the Philistines are not going to yield those voluntarily. So uh, David's going to have to kill a hundred Philistines, and one of them will kill him. You know, that's kind of what his uh, strategy is in this. And and you know, the foreskin would rather accentuate the uncircumcised character of the Philistines, and so. You know, this almost becomes a semi-religious act, too. I mean, you know, we're going to circumcise those 100 Philistines. And uh, so that maybe adds more to that. And it's, it's, it's just uh, one of these no-fault uh, assassinations. I mean, it's, it's, you're not really doing anything. Um, kind of reminds you of what David's later going to do toward Uriah. He doesn't touch him, but he has him killed. Uh, it's kind of sad. David ends up sort of playing the same game that Saul was playing here. Um, and, and it just really makes you question Saul's kingship. I mean, he's a lot more concerned about this personal grudge against David than he is about national security. I mean, and he's using his own daughter as a pawn in this deadly game. What a mess. When Saul had the Lord leave him, he, he just goes from bad to worse. But what happens? He comes back. And David returns. Uh, getting the hundred Philistine foreskins doesn't kill him. In fact, what did David do? He got two hundred. <laughs> you know, uh, this is amazing. The Lord was with him. And uh, so he gets Michael. But look at what's happening to poor Saul. Everything he does to try to harm David just promotes his advancement. You know, this just enhances David's reputation. And now not only is Jonathan David's best friend, but Michael loves David and is married to David. And uh, Saul sees even his own family going over to David's side. And David's standing out as being wise as a warrior and all this. It just becomes more and more difficult for Saul to handle this, this jealousy of his. And uh, we'll see him try other tactics. Comments and questions? It's kind of interesting, I mean, we read things like Psalm 1 where it says, you know, the righteous is like the tree, and whatever he does, he prospers, and then the wicked, you know, just like, kind of gets worse and worse. This is like the textbook example of those things back in verse uh, 
uh, 14 where it says, David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord is with him. Um, and then 29, no, but Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. And just one goes up and up and up, and one goes down and down and down. You're exact. And the whole key is the Lord with you or not. The Lord's with you, you go up. If the Lord leaves you, you go down. And it's just, it is quite a contrast. Yes, Alex? Um, verse 18, where, you know, David says to Saul, who am I, who is my life, or, or my father's family? It's very reminiscent of what Saul says earlier in 1 Samuel, and it really occurs to me that, you know, Saul doesn't stay humble once he's, once he's given the kingship. Um, he really just exalts himself and he goes down his path. But David stays like this. This is right on the curtails of him killing Goliath. I mean, he, he's famous now. And he's still saying, you know, who am I? Good point. Yeah, good point. It's encouraging that David continues to look at himself and humble himself. Michael? Whoever made the point about not running three miles in 15 minutes overnight, David... Um, he never hesitated from the beginning in the little things and going out and watch the sheep. He never hesitated to serve, to obey, and have faith in the Lord. And the Lord offers him a challenge and a chance to be pleasing to him more and more once once David proves his faith in the Lord. And maybe part of our jealousy of people um, is because the Lord doesn't grant us those opportunities. He, he allows us to go through the things that we can handle. And sometimes when we haven't put our faith in the Lord, He won't give us those other things. Uh, and we might be jealous about those things. But but David never hesitated in the small things. And now it seems like these things are so great, he continues to not hesitate to trust in the Lord. Something that maybe we that, that stops us way back here. Good point. I hadn't thought about this before, but what if God had given to Saul the great victories David was gaining? What would that have done to Saul? Whoa, no, I mean, you know, head would have swollen up, you know, hard to know how much. You know, because he takes these things high for him. He glorifies himself. God couldn't really let David, let Saul have these victories without it being you know, a, a stumbling block to Saul. The man who's humble and who glorifies God, then God can work through that kind of a man. And uh, it is encouraging that the, the uh, Israelite women may be singing that song about David, but we never read of David singing it about himself. Okay. Yes. Uh, another comment that I find really encouraging is that God cares enough about us that if something becomes a stumbling block to us, like Saul's pride was, he doesn't give that to us. And he wouldn't want Saul to steal the glory of the glory. Exactly. Cameron? Going along with those past few comments and count, they're all linked together really well. The battle belongs to the Lord, and yet he's going to go around those stumbling blocks, as we just said. He's going to care for us, and even though we can win, he's going to win. He's going to win in such a way that we are going to be strengthened and helped. Amen. <coughs> Other thoughts, comments? Right, chapter 19, verses 1 to 7. 